Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and I am excited that you're here listening. Let's pray together that this podcast offers you some hope and a better understanding of what we believe as Catholics. Our podcast has grown so much over the past three years, and we're always trying to record different topics that are relevant and what you guys really want to hear. So to help us, send us your ideas and email them to podcast at arrayofhope.net. Also, if you're on Spotify mobile, swipe up while you're listening and take the Spotify exclusive poll. Knowing your faith, is that important? I believe so. Is Catholic education important? It does provide us with the invaluable opportunity to expand people's knowledge explore their passions, create community, strengthen their sense of self, and to come to know God all in one place. I mean, that seems like a great situation for me. I personally didn't go to any kind of Catholic school, but I wish I did. To be in an environment where a person can learn as well as be formed, I believe this combination will serve the future church very well. We're going to talk about what Catholic education looks like today with our guest, the president of Franciscan University, Father David Pavanka. This is going to be great. It's going to be exciting. So sit back and relax and welcome to A Reason for Hope. And here we go. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Real Estate for Life. If you're thinking about buying or selling a home or moving to a more family-friendly or Christian area, please consider going to realestateforlife.org. They will pair you with expert real estate professionals who share your faith, and they will also contribute a portion of their commission to a pro-life charity of your choice, all at no cost to you. So to connect with a pro-life realtor, please visit realestateforlife.org or call them at one eight seven seven life us one So Dave, how are you doing today? Pretty good, actually. It's the end of the school year. Ah. That's always exciting. Yeah. I love teaching and I love my students, but I also love June, July, and I August. I bet you do. <laughs> Some good time off. That's, uh, it's great. Yeah. The homeschool year is wrapping up too, so the kids are excited at home. Nice. Finishing up, so it's going to be great. Good nice, summer. Nice, nice. You know, for me, uh, my daughter just finished her freshman year at the University of Scranton. So that was really exciting for us. And, and your son too, right? Just yep. finished up? Yep, just finished up at Franciscan. Wow. He had a, a good year. I told him we have a pretty exciting guest for the podcast today. Wow. So I'm sure he's pretty psyched about it. Wow, that. yeah, that's right. I mean, our guest today is Father David Pavanka, who is the president of Franciscan University in Steubenville. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about his life. We talked about his calling to the priesthood, his love for Steubenville, but also discussed his vision and the mission of a Catholic school. I mean, it's really informative. It's really awesome that he got to be with us. And I can't wait because I want to hear what he has to say, obviously, as the president of my son's school. (laughs) Yeah, it would be important to you. So, Dave, many people really don't know that the church has some very clear ideas about what the mission of a Catholic school is. You want to share what that is and sure. what your thoughts are? Well, St. John Paul II issued an apostolic constitution 
entitled Ex Corde Ecclesiae. That means from the heart of the church. Mm -hmm. And he did that in 1990. And in that document, he set forth with real clarity uh, the institutional commitments and essential characteristics of a Catholic university precisely as Catholic. The, The operative question is, what makes a Catholic school Catholic? A good Catholic school will be distinguished from a bad one by these particular characteristics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very important because I don't really think many Catholic schools pay attention to what that document (laughs) (laughs) actually says. Uh, And I'm sure a lot of people seeking a good education for the kids really don't know what to look for. No, I don't don't think they know what to look for either. I know Father Dave takes this seriously, you know. Right. Now, I actually think that this document is even more relevant today than it was back in 1990 when, mm. when John Paul II wrote it. And I'm just going to highlight a few different parts of it. For example, it states that Catholic theology must be taught in a manner faithful to Scripture, tradition, and the Church's magisterium. That institutional fidelity includes recognition of and adherence to the teaching authority of the Church in matters of faith and morals. And that Catholic teaching and discipline are to influence all university activities. Now, that all is pretty profound. It is. But unfortunately, you won't find it at a lot of Catholic (laughs) schools. I was just going to say, does it really exist? Right. So think about that. Catholic teaching is supposed to permeate, supposed to touch every aspect of the school, the decisions that the administration makes, the speakers that come in, Mm. um, the approach to even teaching the subjects that it teaches. While each academic discipline will retain its own integrity and obviously has its own methods, all Catholic teachers are supposed to be faithful to, and all other teachers who aren't Catholic who happen to be there are to respect Catholic doctrine and morals in their research and teaching. So, for example, if somebody's teaching English, they can't be teaching things in the English class that are contradictory of the church's teaching or the church's approach to even understanding the world. That also touches upon things like uh, areas of research in science or, or the way a school might approach its psychology program or sociology program or anthropology program. All of those areas are areas that are very susceptible to whatever is faddish today or the current um, the current ideology or thinking on things, as opposed to really seeking the truth about the human person. I think it's very important that those vulnerable areas are approached in a, in a Catholic way. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is what is taught across all subjects, like English, psychology, all the programming that is done, like any diversity, equity, and inclusion programming or student clubs, are they consonant with the teaching of the Catholic Church? And if not, the school is sowing confusion and not clarity and really isn't doing the job it's supposed to be doing as a Catholic school. So a Catholic school shouldn't become a platform for woke ideas. It shouldn't become a platform for so many of the errors that we find in our world today with regards to what it means to be a human person, the areas of sexuality, gender, you name it. And yet, unfortunately, so many schools do become such a platform. And even Catholic schools have bought into all of that. 
that it's important for parents to be aware that their kids are really going to get something consonant with Catholic mm. teaching. Now, the Catholic school is supposed to also be an ever more effective instrument of cultural progress for individuals as well as for society. And this is accomplished by studying serious contemporary problems so as to discover their roots and causes with a specific priority to examine and evaluate the predominant values and norms of modern society and culture in a Christian perspective and a responsibility to communicate to society those ethical and religious principles which give full meaning to human life. So, in other words, as society grows more secular and the culture moves away from Christ, and so many ideologies bubble up that are actually in opposition to the church's understanding of the human person and moral values, well, it's essential for a Catholic school to be true to this mission in order to be able to evangelize the culture and sanctify the world, to be able to bring the truth of the human person into the public forum so that everybody can live an authentically full life, which these other ideologies actually don't enable the human person to do. So if the school is going to really be that witness, is really going to be able to affect the culture, is really going to try to help all persons live an authentically full human life, well, it's, it's got to be teaching the truth in the school so that that's what is brought into the public forum. Now, with this said, uh, one of the things that Ex Cordia Ecclesiae also emphasizes is that relationship between faith and reason. And I think that's also something very important, especially when you're going to dialogue you know, in the public forum because not everybody's going to be coming from what God has revealed in Scripture and tradition. However, God has also given us reason, and reason is a way to the truth, even if not the full truth, which we need revelation for. And the Lord has written his law into our hearts, the natural law. And so there's a way to engage with the culture that starts from just what we all have in common, presumably, with, which is reason. Although, if you listen to a lot of people in our culture, you would question that statement, whether or not that is something we have in common. But nonetheless, uh, we're supposed to have it mm -hmm. in common. You know, all truth points to God, who is the truth, right? So, a Catholic school should be a place where truth is sought, is spoken, and is promoted. I mean, Jesus said he's the truth and that the truth would set us free. Uh, and, and it's funny, I love this one line in Ex Corde Ecclesiae. It says that we need the courage to speak uncomfortable truths which do not please public opinion, but which are necessary to safeguard the authentic good of society. And mm -hmm. I think if you think about the culture we live in now, we need that courage more than ever. And that's the kind of courage that should be instilled in students that go to an authentically Catholic school. So, you know, in a, in a world where everybody is afraid of being canceled and people don't want to talk about the most important issues facing our times because they're afraid to do so, a Catholic school should be a space where we can talk about this with clarity, with charity and compassion, and be able to learn how to bring the truth into the world. So, Ex Corde Ecclesiae is a really important document to, to help guide 
Catholic schools. And even in my work as the director of mission and ministry at the school I teach at, um, when I was in that role for some 20 years, I, when I was in charge of helping to train new teachers, I tried to apply the principles of, of ex corde ecclesiae to a high school setting. It's written for universities, but I would argue that it needs to be adapted and brought to a high school setting because truthfully, on, on a lesser level, that's what a high school should be doing as well, a Catholic mm -hmm. high school, to be an authentically Catholic well, school. Even in a grammar school, right? Right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, on that level, of course, you might yeah, not yeah. be dealing quite in the same way with some of the world's stuff. But I mean, let's face it, the stuff they're trying to teach to five-year-olds now, so, yeah. it's crazy. So like, yeah, I mean, across the board. So I just love, you know, St. John Paul and his teachings every time you share them with us and our listeners. I mean, he truly is potentially a future doctor of the church, yes. no doubt. Uh, well, I'm really, telling you, he it, got so much blowback for this uh, document. Uh, Nobody wanted to listen to it. Everybody thought that it was, you know, rigid. It was going to restrict academic freedom and all this kind of thing. And and he was he was in university life. I mean, this is a guy who who values uh, the academy. It's a, he's a man who values scholarship, who values research, who understands that every academic discipline has its own methods by which it does its research and conducts itself. But, but all at the service of what? At the service of the truth. Right. And that's the part that was missed. And he brought that right in. And people also like, whoa, what are you talking about? The truth. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? What am I talking about? The truth. Yeah. It's, it's a Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Great reflection. Thanks, Dave. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, want to help make this podcast better? Go to our survey URL in the show notes and leave your mark on A Reason for Hope. We are all called to be good stewards, whether that means making wise financial decisions for our families, for our parishes, or for organizations that we may advise or direct. Owning gold and silver is easy, and we're happy to be partnered with St. Joseph's, who has exclusively focused on helping families protect their wealth in gold and silver for over a decade. Their pricing is very competitive, and their dedicated retirement team was recognized last year as only one of two dealers in the nation who meet the stringent criteria of integrity, value, and dependability by an independent trust company. Take the steps today to protect your family from potential financial stress and allocate some of your hard-earned dollars to gold and silver as good stewards. Go to www.stjosephpartners.com forward slash array of hope to learn how you can protect your loved ones at this important moment in history. Again, that is www.stjosephpartners.com forward slash array of hope. Hey everybody, this is Who's That Saint with me, Alanis, where I test your saint knowledge by giving you three clues from a saint's life for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Starting off with clue number one. The saint is one of the OG apostles, so that narrows it down to 11, and he wrote five books of the Bible, all in the New Testament. Who's that saint? Clue number two. At Jesus' crucifixion, he was the only apostle who stayed at the foot of the cross. Who's that saint? Clue number three. The saint is believed to be the only apostle to die of natural causes. Last chance, who's that saint? Well, if you guessed St. John the Apostle, you're correct. The beloved disciple John was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. He participated in the early life of the church in Jerusalem, traveled widely, and wrote five New Testament books, which include 
the Gospel of John, three epistles, and the Book of Revelation. He's believed to be the longest living apostle, and we celebrate his feast day on December 27th. St. John, pray for us. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Music Corner. This is Jack Garno, Ray of Hope's Director of Music and Audio Production. I want to encourage you to check out AOH Music's new EP, Live at Oceanway Nashville. This collection of music features three songs that we're extremely excited about, called Abba Father, Heal Our World, and Light of the World. And we've gotten some great feedback from live audiences especially. It's been a real grace for us to experience that. And it's always humbling to see how God is using us as musicians for his kingdom. Because many times we do not see the fruits of our labors. And that's okay too, because it really pushes us to trust God in what he is doing in his divine providence. The first song off the EP, Abba Father, expresses our intimate connection with God as our heavenly father, who's always there for us. Heal Our World calls for unity in Christ, compassion through charity, and healing in our broken world. And of course, Jesus is the divine physician and we invoke healing in his name. And lastly, Light of the World reminds us of our call to all be a beacon of hope and light and love to those around us. We're all called to be on fire with the faith as we share in the light of Christ. This EP captures the essence and depth of these songs, offering, we pray, a transformative experience that will inspire and uplift you. Find AOH Music live at Ocean Way, now on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, wherever you stream music. And give us a follow so you're in the loop for our upcoming releases, which we pray will continue to inspire you and help you on your faith journey. Our guest today is Father David Pavanka, Franciscan friar, third order regular. He is the president of Franciscan University of Steubenville. He has served for more than 30 years as a spiritual director, a retreat leader, and formation director. He also served as the director of the Franciscan Pathways. Father David Pavanka also launched the Ministry of the Wild Goose, which uses videos and speaking engagement to bring people to a newer and deeper relationship with God. Let's welcome Father David Pavanka. Well, Father, uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on our program. It's uh, it's exciting to meet you. Uh, as I shared with you before we started recording, we'd met before, and I was always very interested in your journey. So uh, before I get into certain questions pertaining to your work, uh, your background, uh, tell me a little bit about your, you growing up as a young child. Were you uh, Are you a convert? Uh, was your family devout? Uh, tell me how you became drawn to the Catholic faith and, and uh, you know, your relationship with Christ. Right. Yeah. So I was, I was raised Catholic. I always challenge people when they send out, when they say I was born and raised Catholic, it's like, nobody was born Catholic, right? We're all born little pagans and then somebody loves us and, and we receive <laughs> baptism. So uh, Catholic, the faith was always really important uh, in my family. My mother and father were uh, very faithful, loved the Lord. Christ was really at the center of their life, center of their marriage, um, which was just a tremendous blessing uh, to myself and my family. 
uh, raised in a small town in Southwest Colorado, uh, Durango, which is just one of the most beautiful places in the world. And faith uh, was always really important for me in my own life. Uh, my mom and dad obviously shared the faith and mom and dad discipled me. Uh, and fairly at a fairly young age, I made it my own. I think that's just as a side note that that's important for everybody is that eventually there has to be this place that says, okay, I'm going to own this for myself. I'm going to believe I'm going to follow because it's important to me, not because mom or dad says, or not because the priest says, but because it's important. Uh, and that's something I decision I made fairly early, you know, um, junior high school, then high school uh, was really, I was always wondering and wrestling with whether or not it was called to be a priest. And the thought was always in the back of my mind. Uh, there are five boys and one girl in my family and my parents uh, prayed. They said every day of their married life that for one of their kids would become a priest or a religious. And so I joked that me and my brothers, we pulled straws and I mm -hmm. won or lost or I lost, depending on how well their kids are behaving. Uh, yeah. And, and the thought about being a priest was always on my mind. So I started in a state school in Colorado uh, college, ended up taking a year off and spent a year with the organization called the NET teams or the National Evangelization Teams. Uh, and that's where I heard about Franciscan University, ended up transferring here, got my degree from Franciscan. Oh, wow. Yeah, I came back and worked here for a while and then just was brought back a number of years ago as the president. Was there a moment in your life where I guess maybe felt God in a very special way that you owned it for yourself? I know that you made a decision, but was there an epiphany? Was there a moment? Was there a sense of that the Lord was speaking with you? What was that like for you? Um, there was, yeah, and that's a good question. There was actually lots of them. Um, mm. when, when, I was when I was teaching, I actually would en encourage the students kind of like this road that we call our spiritual life. And what are those markers that were impactful for us? And, and honestly, the first thing I, I story I tell is actually I was about five years old. Uh, we were at a campfire up in the mountains. It was a retreat, a family retreat. And so there were maybe, I don't know, 50 or 60 people there. And I remember just having this encounter with the Lord looking, I was watching the embers go up into, this, into the sky and being a little kid again and had this profound understanding that there was a God and that wow. the God knew me, like that he knew me, that he saw me, that it wasn't just this God of the universe that was kind of over this massive, but it was very personal. And um, yeah, I was, I was five years old. And, and then there were a number of occasions. Again, we were involved, my mom and dad were involved in Curcio movement. So I made a Curcio when I was fairly young. I, when I was in high school, I led retreats. So there was, there was all kinds of opportunities. A significant one for me was also when I was on net, and that's when the Holy Spirit became more real for me. Well, well I, I now understand, obviously, the Holy Spirit animates everything, but the Holy Spirit is also a third person of the Trinity. So we, we talk about what is it to have a relationship with the Father? What is it to have a relationship with the Son? Well, we have, to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So there's a pretty profound experience when I was 20, uh, again, largely a weekend retreat, that type of thing, uh, where the Holy Spirit became more um, alive to me and more alive in me. So, yeah, there are, there are all kinds of experiences that I've had that have been building blocks to the, that have brought me to where I am right now. 
It's amazing. I mean, I too, when I was young, uh, you know, these uh, retreats. Uh, mine was called Search for Christian Maturity. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's what that, that's what mine was as well. Yeah, it was modeled after Casio, and uh, it's just yeah. amazing the profound effect it had on young people. Uh, yeah. I almost have a yearning. I, I see that. I, I feel that that's a void in our culture today. Like my kids didn't experience that. Uh, it was it was a movement back in the seventies and the eighties, and. Uh, I pray that these kinds of things happen, uh, at least in the Northeast. It really was powerful then, and it kind of went away. So uh, it was a lot of lot of the Holy Spirit was certainly moving in those years. I think that's what we're seeing. You know, I think at Franciscan, we obviously do youth conferences. Maybe not obviously. Maybe some people don't know, but we do youth Fantastic. conferences yeah. across yeah, the country. Yeah. yeah, and we'll have. 50, 60,000 young people go through. But again, it's it's just a, a weekend where people are invited, young people are invited to a relationship and encounter with the Lord. And those are really pivotal in people's lives. I mean, they look back to those experiences. Yeah. But mine was search as well. Mine was a search. I was part of the search team. Look at that. We have something in common. Let's see if we can find other things. You like music? Uh, I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you play an instrument? I do. I play guitar. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, I mean, yeah, that's what yeah. I am. I'm a musician. That's how okay. I started. And then I had a calling to to start this organization about 13 years ago uh, to evangelize through the culture, through music, through films, through uh, events. Um, but so you're a, you're a third order regular Franciscan. So uh, please explain Correct. what that is to our viewers. I know there are Capuchins and there are CFRs. We're very connected with the CFRs out here in, in northern New Jersey. Sure. Um, tell me what the differences are and what your order is. Yeah, so maybe just to kind of simplify that Francis started three orders. Mm -hmm. uh, we like to say it took Francis three times to get it right. Uh, some people would not <laughs> necessarily think that. But the, the, first, the first order is the Order of Friars Minor, and the focus is really um, minority poverty, you know. But within the first order, there's different branches, and this may be a little bit more than you asked for, but there's the OFMs, there's the OFM Capuchins, there's the OFM Conventuals. You mentioned the CFRs. The CFRs at one time were Capuchins, and they, they broke right. and created them. So the first order, that's part of their history, is, is really kind of refounding. Now, the second order is the Poor Clares, and their main charism is really contemplation, largely cloistered, um, praying and, and really being able to serve the Lord and serve the church in that capacity. The third order regular, our main charism is, is metanoia, it's conversion. This idea that we are called to continual conversion, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, that there were lots of experiences and mar lots of markers in my life that I drew into a deeper relationship with Jesus. That we, we fundamentally believe that that's not an experience that merely happens once, but we're called to continually experience conversion. Uh, again, not to get too deep in the woods, but before Francis actually started the Franciscans, he belonged to a, a, a movement at the time, much like Curcio, something like that. It was called the Order of Penitents, and it was really a group of, of men and women who were, who were uh, distanced from the church and then were coming back, kind of like an RCAE program, where they come back, they did public penance, and then they were ultimately brought back into the life of the church. That was really what, where Francis drew to begin and create the third order was these men and women, the relationships that he had with these penitents. And it was largely, Francis's thought was, if culture was gonna be transformed, if the temporal order was gonna be changed or converted, it need to happen from the inside. So the third order regular was largely men and women who were involved in, in other works, other ministries, other even businesses, 
where they gather together, they begin to live a common life, they begin to pray together and, and try to bring about transformation of culture through that, through, through work and through being a part of the laity. Very quickly, they became, priests began to be part of the third order regular. So that's kind of in a nutshell, uh, the distinction between us and the other communities. But it's really a relationship, a closeness to the laity, not to be confused with the secular Franciscans, uh, right. who are lay men and women, um, but, but understanding that if we're going to change culture, it has to be from the inside out. It can't be just kind of looking from the outside. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. So I, I didn't know actually that you attended Steubenville uh, when you attended college. Uh, so what was what was that like? I mean, being asked to come back uh, uh, to yeah. become the president, uh, it must have kind of blew your mind a bit. Tell me what tell me what that was like and 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 your role there at the university. Yeah. So I as stated, I graduated from the university and then I was ordained in 1996, and I worked here for quite a few years, and then I. I spent a number of years doing full-time preaching. That's where I created the Wild Goose and some of the, the ministries that I've been a part of. And then in 2019, uh, the presidency at the university opened. The board of trustees reached out to me. My provincial reached out to me and he said, you know, are you open to this? And, and it's really, that's one of the things I love about religious life is it's this process of myself praying and my community praying. And we come together and we say, okay, is this... Is this our sense about what this is the Lord is asking of me? Um, for me, it was it was in many ways coming home. You know, uh, Franciscan University has been a part of my life since 1986. I came here as a 20 year old kid, wow. uh, and it's been a it's been a part of my life. So to be able to come back and serve the university as a president has been a great a great blessing. It's a great honor. I believe honestly, I believe there's nothing like Franciscan University anywhere in the world, and to be a part of that, to be a part of what God is doing here be a part of the formation and education of young people that are impacting. Again, this is really at the heart of the third order charism is impacting in, in accounting and in teachers and in hospitals and nurses and businesses to be able to form young men and women of faith uh, and then send them out in the world to bring about transformation. I mean, it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. yeah not without yeah. its difficult, not, not without its difficulties, but it's the best thing in the world. Well, I'm I'm sure you know we're we're all challenged in ministry, right? So, uh, but you do you do an amazing work, and even the um, even the graduates that come from there, there's a you have all stars that are coming out of there that yeah, are doing yeah. amazing work. Not only entering the priesthood, and that you have a very high percentage of graduates that go into religious life, but also uh, that are well known, you know, evangelists. Um, so, tell me, you know. Uh, as the president, uh, you'd know better than all of us the importance of education, the importance of Catholic education, especially at the university level. Uh, you know, um, you're devoutly Catholic, the university, and and the teachings are are uh, orthodox in 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 nature. Uh, tell tell us the and obviously that's countercultural, right? I mean, most Catholic universities are don't even resemble being Catholic, and I don't want to name any, but the idea of the importance of Catholic education in a Catholic university and what Steubenville does to retain that identity. Maybe you could go a little deep on that. Yeah, sure. Well, one of the things that I always reflect on is near Francis's death before he died, he said, I have done what is mine to do. May Christ show you what is yours. And that's really what I remind the people I work with here at the university is we're just doing what the Lord is asking us to do. What God is asking somebody else to do, that's between them and the Lord. 
But I think the Lord is inviting us to uh, rebuild the church. So Francis is kneeling before the Santa Mariana cross, and he hears Jesus speak to him from the cross, Francis, rebuild my church, which is literally falling into ruins. Well, Francis literally began building the church. Uh, But we believe that that's really our our goal and our mission at Francis University is is to be a part of rebuilding the church. And and it's important for us to recognize that that's not just something that happens today or happened in Francis's time. The church is always, right, by her nature, she's always in in need. Uh, And for us to be able to be a part of that, you know, Um, and it's because oftentimes it's the church is is holy, right? Uh, And church is also made up of men and women, who need continual renewal, who can need continual transformation. But again, what, what we understand at Franciscan is that the best way that this has happened, yes, you mentioned that we've got a large number of people that end up becoming priests and religious, which I celebrate. But we also have a large number of nurses that, that love the Lord. And one of, one of the things that John Paul, uh, St. John Paul said about a Catholic university is that Faith and reason are not uh, opposed to one another. Actually, they illuminate one another. And that's really what we see here is that uh, we encounter Christ in the chapel. You know, we've got perpetual adoration on campus. We've got five masses a day on campus. Um, We encounter him there. We also encounter him in the classroom, that these two things are not opposed. They don't compete with one another. They rather illuminate one another. And and I think of my own time at the university, I— in sitting in one particular class, uh, it was by Dr. Regis Martin, if you, if you know Dr. Martin, just a great, great scholar, great theologian, great teacher. Mm-hmm. But he was, talking, he was talking about how the church is both holy and she's scandalous. And, and mm. he said, we need to be able to reconcile that. You know, he said, if you don't reconcile that, when, when bad things happen, you're going to leave the church. You've got to reconcile. But then he goes on to say, but he says, that's my story too. It's your story. It's our viewer's story is is that we can do things that are profoundly virtuous and then we can also do things that are profoundly sinful and we have to be able to reconcile these things. Well, this changed the way I saw the church. It changed the way I saw myself. It changed the way I saw God. And this happened in a classroom. So that's what we really, we, we just see the great blessing is that at a university, men and women should be formed in the intellectual life. They should receive an outstanding education. They should be challenged by what they're learning. Um, and they should also do that within the context and environment of faith. That's what we take seriously here about Francis University. Our mission is to send out joyful disciples, you know, joyful disciples that are educated, that are formed, and can bring about transformation and renewal in the church and in culture. Uh, I get to be a part of that, which is really an amazing thing. Must bring you uh, a lot of joy, a lot of accomplishment to to be part of that. It's it's wonderful. It's it's wonderful. It does. Um, it was interesting. One of the Nappy events, perhaps when we met, half of the speakers were graduate of Franciscan University. I know. I mean, I know. it's incredible. As, as, as the president, that makes me so proud. But it also it's yeah, it's 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 something unique that God has done in this place. I love your mission, Joyful Disciples. I mean, what better way to share the beauty uh, uh, of who Christ is by making it attractive? And how do you make the message attractive is by sharing the joy that you experience Absolutely. as living in the life of, of Christ. And uh, that's, uh, that's a beautiful motto. That's a beautiful mission to have for the university. Yeah, I, I love reflecting on what uh, St. John the 23rd said. He said, the sure sign of the presence of God is joy, right? There's something mm. about that. And and when you're with a, a group of individuals who love the Lord and are experiencing the joy of the Lord, that's contagious, right? You just want to be a part of that. And, and I think that's what we're seeing here at the university. 
what is your hope for the for the graduates of Franciscan? Uh, generally? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I tell every one of them, my job with president isn't done until they hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, my hope is that we, we form the saints of the next millennia, you know, the and not just priests and religious. Again, I celebrate that and I rejoice that, but we need saints in every arena. We need saints in the classroom. We need saints in the emergency room. We need saints in the boardrooms. We need saints in the corporate offices. We need saints everywhere. And that's really my goal and my desire is that we form men and women that are going to be the saints of the next millennia. Hey, if you're enjoying this interview, be sure to check out the full video version on the Array of Hope channel. Subscribe for free at watch.arrayofhope.net. Then download the app by searching Array of Hope on your mobile device, Apple TV, or Roku. Yeah. Well, like you had said, create disciples, and disciples yeah. can be of any, any walk of life, right? Any ministry, yeah, any, any profession. So it's funny that you uh, you had mentioned, well, you had this video ministry. You still do, Wild Goose. It's funny. I just want to give you a, a little context. So we have our own app and channel, and before we started developing that, we came across your channel, you know, Wild okay. Goose. And we yeah, watched yeah, all yeah. the videos, and as a matter of fact, I think we we even contracted the same distributor and 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 uh, hosting company that you did. Uh, oh, that's so we great! Were very, that's great. Yeah, so we're very influenced. So tell me a little bit about that part of your ministry uh, and what that's about. Sure, sure. Well, um, so I'd written a book called Breath of God, and I'm just was very very convinced and convicted that that in some of the struggles that we're experiencing in the church today and living disciples, becoming disciples, what was lacking was the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, um, when we take a look at the scriptures, what we see is before Pentecost, men and women who were in the room with the doors locked, they had had an encounter with Jesus, um, but there was still something that was in that Jesus obviously says, go and wait for the promise of my father relating to Luke 11 and the promise of the father is the sending of the Holy Spirit. So I wrote this book, but I was just struck with the reality there's going to be a population that aren't going to read books, right? Mm. So uh, I did a wedding, actually, uh, for a young couple, and the, the, the gentleman was working, Dan was working at, at maybe trying to create some media. His in-laws wanted to impact the world and the church uh, through a media company. So I said, well, what if, what if we do something, kind of team up on this? Uh, the term the wild goose is actually, it's an ancient term for the Holy Spirit. The Celts used it, the, the idea of the Holy Spirit. There's a wildness about the Spirit. Sometimes we want to tame the Holy Spirit and we want to, but there's, if you've ever seen a goose that's really kind of wild, there was something about that that was really beautiful. So we created a 14-part video series, really taking a look at what does it mean to live a life in the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit animate the sacraments? How does the Holy Spirit animate our prayers? How does the Holy Spirit reveal the Father, reveal Jesus? So, and it's, yeah, it's been wildly successful. I mean, I've really been humbled and amazed at how the Lord has used that. And then we did a follow-up series called Metanoia. We're really focusing on Jesus. And right now we're working on the third part of that uh, called uh, My Father's Father. And it's focusing on the Father and who God is as Father. So it's been a great blessing to be able to be a part of that. Yeah, and that's available on your channel. It is Wild Goose TV. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's just uh, let me let's go back a little bit about the education. Uh, maybe you could share the importance of when 
uh, young parents are looking for education for their kids, and uh, often they consider a Catholic college but don't understand um, the importance of Catholic education. Maybe you could sure. share um, certainly what Franciscan does, but allude to the importance of getting, like you had said, a, a, a robust sure. education that includes the faith and how that should be part of a decision process for a parent you know, directing their children for college. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really interesting. Um, every study says that uh, some of the most formative time of an individual's life as it relates to faith is when they graduate from high school in those next five years. Now, there's studies that have been done uh, of, of young people who are actually, when they graduate from high school, going to church on a regular basis. Within five years, roughly 75% of those young people will not be going to church anymore. So there's something that's happening in those five years of you know, education, college, formative years, uh, where they're either going to make a decision to remain faithful or they're going to walk away. And the tragedy is the large percentage of them walk away. Um, it's interesting. I'm always kind of surprised at the number of parents who are very invested in where their kids go to elementary school, high school, but then ultimately say, go to college wherever you want. And, and those are really mm -hmm. years that, that they're making life decisions that are going to impact them for the rest of their life. The type right. of job they're going to work in, who they're going to marry, the type of individual that they want to be. Um, so I think it's just imperative that, that moms and dads and, and their children really pray and reflect about that. I mean, unfortunately, so many schools today are, are really about creating activists, you know, um, and not, 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 not only not concerned, but also in many places against the faith. The faith is ridiculed. The faith is marginalized. Um, you, you don't have the freedom to speak about your faith. And it seems to me one of the, one of the things we, we do at the university is we, we invite them to kind of write a mission letter. You know, why is it that you want to be a part of Franciscan University? And this one young guy from Arizona, he wrote, he's again 18 years old. And he said, honestly, I'm just tired of being alone. I'm tired of being alone. Mm -hmm. He went to a, a public school. I'm tired of being the only one in my class that has faith or that wants to talk about the Lord or wants to live a life of virtue or wants to live, wait till I get married, right, to have sex. And he says, I'm just tired of that. And I want to be around a community for a little while where I'm going to be able to grow and develop in my faith. And, and he's ended up coming to Francis University. And I think he's, ex well, I don't think I know he's excited about being here. That's that's fantastic. I think you had said part of Franciscan is to be countercultural, and that's okay. Maybe yeah, you can talk I mean, about that. The reality is, is, and it's not just Franciscan University. Anybody who's being faithful to the teachings of the church, who's being faithful to the gospel, is going to be countercultural. So what, what I what I remind everybody, I remind the students, I remind our faculty and staff and our friends, is that um, the university is in in some ways going to be. Um, the object of people who don't believe what we believe, we're going to be the object of their scorn. They're going to say things about us. Um, they're going to try to cancel us. One of, one of the things I, I remind people is um, <laughs> you can't be canceled for something you didn't subscribe to. So I don't subscribe. I, I don't subscribe to a lot of what's going on in the world today. <laughs> so if we get canceled, <laughs> you can't cancel me because, right, right. So, but, 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 but yes, Francis, but any, any Catholic couple, any Catholic family, 
that wants to be faithful to the teachings of the church, be faithful to the gospel, you are going to be countercultural. And we need to understand, Jesus said time and time again, the world is going to hate you. But he said, the world hated me first. But if, if, if you're not experiencing some of that pushback, we should probably ask ourselves, are we mm. really being faithful to what the Lord is asking us to do? And it's just, it's just part, it's going to be part of the gospel is that we're going to get more pushback. And the reality is I think things are going to get more difficult before they get better. Yeah. I just do. Well, uh, Father, it was great sharing some time with you. Is there anything that's on your heart that you want to share with our viewers and listeners, uh, a, a, a book or a, an initiative or a film, anything you want to share? Well, honestly, it's probably where I always go back to. And, and I'm just reminded, even with all the conversations, uh, you know, the words of Benedict, that, that at the heart of what we're trying to do here, it's, it's an encounter, it's a relationship with the person. You know, um, Pope Francis says, I want to remind everybody what Pope Benedict said, that it, it's not just a theology or a philosophy, it's a person, it's an encounter with a person. So I, I always encourage people to pray for that encounter, that that can, encounter happens when we're experiencing the Eucharist. It happens when we're taking a few minutes in quiet and prayer. Uh, just pray for this encounter that Jesus becomes more alive in your heart, more alive in your in your in your marriage, in your family, in your community. Uh, when we when we put Him in the center of our life, some pretty amazing things happen. So just encourage your viewers and listeners to so make sure you do that. Yeah. Amen. I agree with that. It's a discipline, right, Father? It's a it's a discipline yeah, to, yeah. to just uh, put him first, to pray every day, to consider some quiet time, uh, the hustle and yeah. bustle of everybody's life today. They don't realize that just five minutes alone with the Lord inside. Yeah, absolutely. Really powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and some people say, I'm so busy. If you're so busy that you can't pray, you need to pray more. You know, it, it just, we, we need to make it a prayer. We always my, my students probably get tired of me hearing me say this, but we always make time for priorities, right? Yeah. We always make time for our priorities. So if, if prayer is a priority, you'll make time for it. Yeah. And I always, I always use these analogies. Like it is a muscle. It is a discipline, right? Yes. It's like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to get in shape, it's hard at first to always stretch and run and exercise, but eventually you feel good about it and you start feeling your body feels better. It's the same thing with Absolutely. our faith, right? The more we engage and uh, particularly like, like what you had said, you know, going in front of the blessed sacrament, just pick some time every once in a while to go in front of the Eucharist. It's powerful. Uh, receive mm -hmm. the Eucharist as frequently as possible. These are all things that we can do uh, as Catholics to strengthen our relationship with Christ, which is really how we uh, receive the joy that we talked about here in this in this segment, this interview. We all want to be joyful. We all want to be happy. Amen. That's absolutely right. Well, Father, God bless you and your work. God bless you, the university. We're so you know excited to uh, just to know you and to be part of the university. And God bless you and all your work. Here, we'd love to have you come visit us sometime. Speak to our kids. It'd be a blessing. For Def them. Definitely will. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Peace. I am so glad you were here today listening to this podcast with us. I want to remind you to please share this podcast with as many people as possible. Let everybody know. The more people know about us, the more we can reach and affect our culture and affect the church. Also, please comment in the comment sections. Give us an endorsement. It really helps to get the word out. We also ask that you prayerfully consider going to our donation page to help us with our work. Our partnership with you will allow us to continue to create these podcasts. So just go to our website at arrayofhope.org. Also join us on social media where it keeps us connected to our faith through our music, 
our videos, and our daily reflections. Lots of great stuff to share with you all. We pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day on Instagram at 3 p.m. Please join us to pray. Our guest next time will be Myra Adams. She is an expert on the Shroud of Turin. This is going to be informative and really, really interesting. Please engage with our sponsors. They have been vetted by us here at Array of Hope, and you can directly help share in the efforts of the Universal Church by spreading the gospel. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.